This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy Pick of the Week, number 834, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you. Yeah, we like Welcome to 
iFanboy Pick of the Week, episode 834. I am Josh Flanagan. I'm here with Connor Kilpatrick. Welcome, Josh. I have realized lately that when I try to look up what the number of the episode is, like when I'm putting mm-hmm. the script together or whatever, I will frequently be like, are we doing the 700s or 800s? And then I go, oh, that's right, 800s. And that's how far along we are, is that I'm hundreds off. I don't even... <laughs> because... 700-something sounds just as inconceivable as 800-something to me at this point. Yeah, it's going to be 900 by the end of the year. Which means... Okay. I mean, 850 by the end yeah. of the year. I mean, I don't, I don't see the train slowing, although, you know, I'm ringing the bell. I'm pulling the cord, <laughs> right? But, like, it seems like the special episode 1000 is a, is a, is certainly a, possi- a strong possibility. Yeah, that would be four years away. You mean... Four years? <laughs> you mean when I'm almost 50? Eight fifty nine, yeah, four years away. Yeah, <laughs> we are on Fitboy, and every week we wrestle with our mortality. That's all this show is, by the way. It's ostensibly about comic books, but it's yeah, but two really, men yeah. from a mid-level band struggling with their own limitations <laughs> in the harsh face of stardom. <laughs> what case. is reading comics every week other than a, a exercise in mortality? It's true. It's true. And, well, because if you think about the converse of that, is that uh, the comic books don't have mortality. They are immortal. Right. And the characters themselves, not even in the sense of, uh, you know, the powers in the fictional world, but the characters themselves are immortal. They, they live on and on and on. They do not age. Correct. Maybe we're, har- maybe we're harming ourselves with this type of material without realizing it. Like, it's setting up an impossible paradigm. Why do you think all the comic fans are angry all the time? It's like good subconsciously they know they're, they're dying and the characters are not. <laughs> this is the best thing we've ever done on this show. Which is my senior here. thesis was that. Yeah, <laughs> it should have been. That's fantastic. <laughs> Every week, one of us picks the book they like the best. That's the pick of the week. We talk about the other books from that week. Uh, there'll be a patron pick. There'll be um, listener mail if we have time for that. Uh, your spoiler warning is that there will be spoilers. You're warned. Connor, you had the pick. I did, and the last couple of weeks are pretty dire, but I had a lot of fun reading comics this week. I don't know if I had a lot of great books. I had a couple of great books, but I had a lot of books that I really enjoyed. And there were some interesting new ones. I thought this was a solid week. And next week looks even better. So maybe we're back on upswing. I felt that way last week, but I also felt the same this week. So This week, the pick of the week was Do a Power Bomb, number Ooh. one, from Image Comics, from Daniel Warren Johnson, Mike Spicer, and Russ Wooten. And at first, when I saw this was coming out, I thought, well, here we go. It's another wrestling comic from a comic creator. But then... I thought, well, it's Daniel Warren Johnson, who's not your regular run-of-the-mill comic creator. And also, he's he's drawing this one, too, unlike the Jurassic League, which came out this week, which I did not read. I did. It was better. It wasn't good, but it was better. I, so I was about halfway through this issue, and I thought, well, why am, I, why am I really enjoying this, besides the fact that it was really good? And it's because, you know, you and I grew up at a certain time, in a certain place. Uh, I was a big 80s, fan, 80s wrestling fan 80s wwf fan you know sure. like the whole Hogan, ultimate warrior andre the giant macho man era but dropped out in you know late junior high school high school I wasn't I, I was never around for that sort of 90s the rock yeah uh stone cold steve austin series like i was out by that point i was aware of it though like i i knew it was going You're culturally on. sure yeah. yeah yeah but i never watched any of that stuff and so but but in the last year I watched that Stephen Amell uh, wrestling show Heels, and I'm a big fan of the Young Rock sitcom, and they've entered the point of his life where he started wrestling. 
And so I feel like I have had a lot of wrestling in my life in the last calendar year. So I, so about halfway through this, I was like, oh, I'm really enjoying this. And it's like, I've, it's like familiar because there's just been wrestling stories in my, in my storytelling life in the last year. But even if there wasn't, my goodness, when we talked about the Jurassic League, and I, this will be the last time I compare the two books, uh, we, we mentioned how the art was fine, but it wasn't like Daniel Warren Johnson. And this book was Daniel Warren Johnson. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple of pages in here that, or panels even, that were just mind-blowing. Um, I'm looking at page uh, 11, Josh, on your digital reader, when that wrestling guy jumps off the rope into the stands. Mm-hmm. He's doing the backflip, and the angle's canted, and the announcers are deep in the background. My goodness, there's, there's not a lot of artists doing panels like that right now in other comics. Even the one prior to that, a couple of pages prior on page six, where Ewa Steel Rose, the the woman who we followed in the beginning, is holding up her her belt, and and there's streamers everywhere. It's just that incredibly. Great. Yeah, I was actually I saw that when I was uh, scrolling to the page you were talking about, and sort of the same. Like you, it's a just a dramatic cut, and it's actually interesting because it doesn't appear on a page turn. If right. you you know the, the in, in, if you look at the page before that, it's basically. Um, her and her son, and then Uncle Blood, who seems to be the promoter for the show, and mm-hmm. and trainer, whatever he is. And all the panels are extremely straightforward. Just medium yep. shots, uh, fairly flat, and then you, you cut and you have the first two panels. There's this, the lettering is doing a lot of work here. The first two panels are sort of wider shots of her approaching, and then that last panel, which takes up two-thirds of the page, you know, is the hero shot. And yep. the angle changes, but it's a really sort of deft bit of cartooning because that like he's built up the energy and he didn't do it on a page turn. He did it in the middle of a page and that's tricky. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. And so the, the story of this book is, uh, well in the back again, in the essay, uh, Daniel Warren says when he had, his, he had a, he had a baby as, as new parents know, he was up all night uh, with the baby at most nights and watching a lot of television and ended up getting hooked on Japanese wrestling. And so this takes place in the world of Japanese wrestling. And uh, at first, it's just like a standard, you know, drama set in the wrestling world where this woman's Yua Steel Rose is the champion, and she has a husband and a son, and she's going to fight Cobra Son, who is, uh, who is the challenger. And the thing is, like, it's not dramatizing the, the world. It's still fake, you know. They're still, it's, it's, they're having their match, but it's, it's still wrestling. And so there's one point where, you know, he's got her and she's in trouble and he's going to do his, his finishing move, the setting sun, where he gets up on the rope with her in sort of a pile driver uh, hold and he's going to, you know, drop her, you know, come down to the mat with her. But he slips on the rope and he's, you know, he says no to himself very quietly, which lets you know, again, this isn't real. And unfortunately, she dies in the ring. She comes down on her neck and breaks it and die so you now this becomes oh this is going to be a legacy wrestling story because if we cut to the future where her her i think it's her daughter um is now yeah. um is it a daughter or son it's daughter, daughter. It, it's unclear her daughter is beginning. older yeah yeah kids all look the same her daughter uh is now grown up and is going to get into wrestling but then it introduces a supernatural element where there's a a demon uh willard necrotron ne- necroton who <laughs> is uh wants her to wrestle for him in his underworld wrestling and, and the prize would be to resurrect her, her, his, her mother. And normally I get like annoyed, but I thought this was very much in Daniel Warren Johnson's aesthetic wheelhouse. 
mm-hmm. and wrestling is ridiculous enough as it is so i didn't really care and i was so into the story and the characters by that point that i was that i that i was able to go with it and enjoy it i thought this was you know incredibly well done as a package like beautifully drawn well written great lettering from russ wooten colors are beautiful from mike spicer this is the daniel warren johnson complete package that i'm mm-hmm. looking for this felt like reading beta ray bill you know where this was so totally interesting and new and different from everything else in the stands and compelling I I I liked it a lot, and I agree with you. I was surprised that you made it the pick of the week. Honestly, I actually read this a while back. He uh, he let me read it before I spoke to him for our talk explode, yeah. and it's I. There's always a moment when uh, some somebody gives you their work that nobody's mm-hmm. seen that it's like their thing, and and yeah. I'm like, and I start to, and I'm like, I don't want to read this because I don't want to <laughs> not like it before, yeah. you know, I talk, you know, talk to them. But I did. I I really enjoyed it, and. It's funny because pro wrestling has this weird, like, it's connected to uh, comics in, in some way that I, I don't fully understand, but it's sort of they. It's the same thing. It's yes. the exact same thing. You're it's, right. It's yeah, you're people right. in garish costumes involved in soap opera storylines that, involve, that revolve around violence. That's, it's, it's, it's comic books brought to life. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, and I've noticed that there's a, there's been a lot of, not a lot, but there's been a fairly steady stream of wrestling comics. They don't last very long. They come in and they do, but they've all been wildly different. Like, mm-hmm. they don't have the same, and this is another one, like, that, you know, the turn that happens in this, I didn't see coming. I didn't, I was, and then it didn't go back to wrestling. Like, basically, the little girl, or, you know, she's not little anymore, I guess she's a young adult, like, entered Kunlun, you know, certainly <laughs> like, yeah. some dem- demonic version of that. And I don't really know where it goes from mm-hmm. here. You know, I, I don't, um, I don't know, it left us off. It's sort of a, 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 a strange place. It's very much a cold open. You know, the credits would roll as soon as the last page happens on this book, I think. Right. Um, but it is, you know, I, one thing that always sort of, takes creator own comics uh sets them apart is is when the person uh doing them is super passionate about the thing that they're doing like this is a this is now a guy you know the context of it is that you know he was gonna go do some creator own stuff and then got offered wonder woman and then was like okay now i'm gonna do it and then did the battery bill and now he's getting a chance to do his thing that he's he's really into and you know you want to take that that big garish and i'm using garish in the nicest form of the word that yep. big garish energy that exists in both you know sort of the the show of pro wrestling and the show of of johnson's art and uh and you get this thing and it's really fun and this and and johnson is i think for us the creator of the moment even though he's been around for several years it's it's uh you know through the course doing the show for as you mentioned at the top for years and years and years and years there's always creators will pop up and for a while um we'll just be you know, besotted by their work because they're injecting something new into the medium. And mm-hmm. it, he's not necessarily doing anything new here, but he's doing it in his own style with his own energy. That's not like anything else in, in the comics right now. So right now, you know, we're just very excited about anything he does. Yeah, sure. And this is really well done. I mean, I mean the dynamic action in the wrestling match in the beginning with steel Rose and, uh, the sun guy, Cobra sun, you know, he's doing dynamic pages and panels unlike anybody else right now. Yeah, and he's been doing them for a while, but like, there's just no competition at the moment. Well, he's in a, he's in his own. <laughs> yeah, and it's just a it's just a joy to, to read. Yeah, 
Um, I mean, this would have been fine if it was just a wrestling drama. It's fine as a supernatural thing. It's because the craft is so high. Part of me always wants it to turn into a documentary, like a real life <laughs> one. But in this, you know, that's interesting too. Is that like when it went supernatural, more or less? I wasn't annoyed, and I don't know yeah. why. Because most of the time I am, but I wasn't, and I, I I don't have to sort that out. I, I mean, I think we have an obvious bias for the for the creator. Like we give. Oh, well, the, the art is so good. Yeah, it is so good, and it's 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 rougher and uglier, and I say this in the nicest possible way. I then. Styles I normally uh, draw are drawn to, but it's so unique and so dynamic and so just like capital letters comic book, but being modern and and fun. It's just there's nothing else like it right now. Yep, he's so great. I really liked this. I mean, I, obviously it's Pickley Guy, but I, I finished. It, I was like, wow, that was really, really great. So those your pick of the week. Do a power bomb number one now. When I, I read this, about maybe halfway through my stack, but in the beginning of my stack, I had a lot of indie books this week. I think I had as many indie books as Marvel and DC combined. In the beginning of my stack, I read G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, Saturday Morning Adventures number four. And I thought to myself, can this be the pick? <laughs> this is the final issue. Eric Burnham, Dan Showing. And in this, this final issue where, if you recall, Cobra Commander has the fabled genie of Aladdin. He, he rubbed the in issue one. He rubbed the lamp. The genie came out. Hijinks ensued, and then in the last issue, uh, the genie decided. The, the Cobra wished that you know they'd finally have their final battle with GI Joe. So he, so the genie brings all of GI Joe and all of Cobra to one little island, and he's like, "You're gonna sort your shit out now." And I just love, I just love this. I loved everything about it. I loved Flint. I loved Shipwreck, who ends up being the decisive factor, which was funny because in the first issue he wasn't even in it. We were complaining because he was such a major force in the cartoons, which this is based on. And then there, Polly was the deciding factor. That's true. Polly was the deciding factor. And then Shipwreck used the lamp for his own gain, but no one else knows it. And then there was a really sort of sad <laughs> Coda PSA cartoon in the back. Um <laughs> with with Lady Jane Flint. Flint's just a terrible boyfriend. So let's look at that last page because we're here. Yeah. Now yeah. she is dressed to the nines and yeah. he she's saying you should always have a backup plan. And then Flint mm-hmm. sticks his head in. They have a very big TV, but only a single chair in front of it. So this must be Flint's place. Um. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but there's like a there's like a very dainty vase with a with f- pink flowers in it and a and a Eiffel Tower foot. Maybe it's her place. Let's well. Let's talk about why Flint isn't a good boyfriend. Yeah. Maybe there's something that we're not. We, we could look into these clues and be like, maybe this isn't for him. But the point is, she is dressed elegantly, and he comes out to tell her that he forgot to make reservations, but he mm-hmm. did rustle up some errors. But he is in a white tux. He dressed up for the MREs, you know, meals ready to eat, which is what soldiers have on the battlefield. So they're gonna have. A, I mean, there are. A myriad of, of restaurants, I assume, wherever they live, that they could go eat and be better than having a couple of MRAs in front of the giant TV. Isn't I mean, you know? It's a nice TV. It's a great TV, but like he's in a white tuxedo. Yeah, she's in a great like probably some sort of silk white dress. And All right, well, let's talk about PTSD. Maybe <laughs> he doesn't like being in those crowds. Maybe the MRAs make him feel comfortable, and so that to him. And it's a thing that she has to deal with, which is why she's like, lucky me. 
you know, he's always doing this. Right. You know, like he'll she'll be like, "Oh, are we going to stay in the hotel?" He'll go, "Yeah." But I I actually have this bivy that I set up and they sleep in a lean-to. And right. and she knows because she loves him, she just deals with it. Yeah, she sees the other girls out in the town, Scarlet, cover girl, Jinx, they're all out having fun. She's she's in a lean-to again. I mean, Dollars to Donuts, find another podcast who can do five minutes on the last page <laughs> of a G.I. Joe cartoon comic. I don't think you can. I enjoyed, what's his name? I always forget his name. Why do I always forget his name? The, the Cobra in in the camo, in the Gary oh, camo. Firefly? I always forget Firefly. Uh, he tries to escape. He's like, he's like fuck this, because he's a, he's a mercenary. He's not yeah. loyal to Cobra Commander. And he's like, I'm out of here. But the genie won't let him. So he has to fight Spirit. And then um, Destro's trying to negotiate with Flint. He's like, dude, I'm, a, I'm an arms dealer. I have a vested interest in this fight lasting forever, so I'd like this fight to be over so that we can go back to bu- the business of the never-ending war between G.I. Joe and Cobra, and that doesn't work out. There's, a, there's one now, scene where Snake Eyes and Stormshadow are grappling in the background, but they're not really fighting. Like, Stormshadow's like, got his wrists and he's holding them. and just It was just it was very funny. I liked the part where Flint or Destro approaches Flint on the back channels because that's actually not in the cartoon, but it was one of my favorite things about the comic book was that Destro, you know, he was hanging around because he's making money from Cobra Commander, but he wasn't into it. Like in the cartoon, he was part of the cult, you know, is whatever. In the cartoon, he's basically the right hand man. In the comics, he was the arms dealer who was not fleecing this guy, but making his fortune off selling arms to this guy. Yeah. So here there was a little of that. They, They put them together. It was just there's one point where oh, you know they're they're they haven't started fighting yet. The genie gives them weapons. Hawk is there. Hawk's like, what the fuck? I was just briefing the president. And then Major Blood grabs his rifle and starts shooting. And I could just I could just hear the sound effect of the their laser guns in my head. This was just so well done from that point of view. We've talked about it before. The art from Dan Shoning is so perfect for this. It's just amazing. It, it, it's it doesn't it's it looks like the cartoon without looking like it's stiff. It's just great. One of the things I liked about it too is that because it's everybody they pulled in at once, and and, and this is really just going to be for us. But they <laughs> put in all the like the, so many of the things that were like the early toys and vehicles and stuff. Like they're all in here if you keep going through it, and yeah. and it really highlights how ridiculous some of them are. <laughs> you know, there's like there's like the one little stone tower that has a cannon sticking out of it, Cobra. Yeah. You know, it's barely taller than a man. Mm-hmm. It's somewhere there's the, it's not the bat, but it's like a robot suit. It's on oh, page. Oh, yes, yes. The, and if you remember the toy, the toy didn't move. It just looks like, it was like a mummy case around the character. <laughs> yeah. So like that's there. And then you have the Awe Striker, which is like their little dune buggy, which totally makes sense. But then as you move over to page 16 for us um i don't remember what this thing is called but it's sort of like a riding mower that you stand up in that has tread tank treads oh yeah yeah it provides no armor of any kind and it's blown well, there's no point to that other than it almost barbecue almost gets killed in it and has to jump out of it like and, and barbecue is the he's not the firefighter he's the flamethrower guy so he does have an offensive capability it's a very ridiculous outfit and, and then you go down one panel and the cobra helicopter that the open-faced Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget single, what that one's single called. person. Yeah. yeah, that's a bad. These are all well, bad. It's got, it's got missiles. You know, it does. It's a, little, it's a personal, you know, attack device. Yeah, it's fine. But it's they got, were all. It, in I, I, I had that one. It had the cool rotating too. gun in the front. Hundred um, percent. That was a cool little thing. I, 
I really hope they do more of this. I hope this sold well. <laughs> I, yeah, not a lot. You know, like, this shouldn't be an ongoing. I'm just saying in, like, six months, do another four issues. I am way more into this than reading uh, a regular G.I. Joe book. Yes. Although I I've would tried. love to read... I, w- I would love to read a good G.I. Joe book. Yeah, I mean, look, there was that there was that period of time many, many years ago when we did the show where there was, like, the renaissance with Co- G.I. Joe Cobra and G.I. Joe Origins and the regular G.I. Joe book, and they were all great. But I think... Eventually, those books just get too mired in everything. I just I this was read, just a fun little dip. I in. want to read the GI Joe series again for the first time. Like the mm. well, we should we should. I have an idea. Okay. okay, write it down on a piece of paper while yeah. I read. yeah move on to the next book. In the same vein, wow! In the same vein, Captain <laughs> America: Sentinel of Liberty number one. This is the first issue of the Steve Rogers book because now we've got two Captain Americas. And this is written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, who wrote the, the Kang miniseries. And props to them for that. I mean, With art by Carmen Carnero, as I wait for the uh, Comixology app to load, which has been really slow lately. That's awesome. I enjoyed the first half of this book a lot. And then, for whatever reason, the second half I was a little bored by. I was excited to read it, because, you know, I'm big Steve Rogers had my favorite Marvel character. And the first half, I was like, oh, this is great. This could be pick of the week. And then by the second half, I was less into it. And I think it's because they seem to be implying that there's some secret about the shield. I'm not, they're not implying it. They show, the, they show the making of the shield in the beginning. And then later on, the, the bad guy implies that there's, there's a secret to the shield that Steve doesn't know about. And it's like every time we have to do this, where we have to uncover something that this hero's never known about themselves, or we have to take a foundational element of the character and ruin it. Like Mjolnir. And it's just, I'm just tired of it. Just tell us, just tell a Captain America story without, you know, changing the foundations of the character. So I didn't know what to think of this because whatever the last one I read by, by the, there was the double. It was a zero. I don't know. But it was by mm-hmm. them. And then the other part was about Sam. Oh, I that guess. one. Yeah. yeah and yeah. that wasn't good. And the first bit. It was good in the fact that, like, you know, you hang out with Steve Rogers and he has inner thoughts and you see part of his day or whatever. But, and it's interesting, but it's also something I read a thousand times. It was well done. It looked cool. It, he moved back into the apartment, you know, that he used to have. That he grew up in. That he grew up in, right. Yeah. You know, when you see that he goes running and he's public and people see him and they let the, ki- let the kids play with his shield. I thought that was all good and charming. He goes to a life drawing class, trying to get back to the fact that he used to be a, a comic book artist or was just an artist, I forget. And he's, he's shy about uh, nude figure drawing. And, you know, it's, it's all a bunch of cute stuff, but it's not a story. And, yeah. and the, the real, as you pointed out, like the real challenge in these things is like thinking of a new story. Like it's hard. And instead, what we have is some weird cabal or, or, or um, conspiracy theory about the shield. And I don't know. It's the same thing. You know, like there's actually one point where they where he's talking about how like all the stuff that he wants to be he wants to put behind him, mm-hmm. which is all the shit that's been going on for a couple of years. And I was like, yes, put that behind you. And I never, ever mention it again. That's how you do it. That's um, how you put it behind you. It's Stop totally talking easy. about it. You know, maybe if if that's your coda that you have to mention it one more time, fine. But you have the power to put it behind him. It's super easy. Ignore it. That's all you got to do. That's it. You know, he goes to a baseball game. Hey, Connor, you know baseball. Mm-hmm. He's wearing a Dodgers jersey, right? Which would make sense because there was the Brooklyn Dodgers. But is that what the Brooklyn Dodgers jersey looked like, or is that the L.A. Dodgers? No, it said Brooklyn across the front. But also, there was this, there was a discussion about this on our Discord, and they were correct that. 
he he in the comics grew up in the Lower East Side. I mean, we see that he's got his Lower East Side apartment. Yeah. Uh, so he would not have been a Dodgers fan. He'd been a Yankee. In the person. movies, he was from Brooklyn. He would have been a Dodgers fan in the forties. Oh. He would have been a Do- uh, Yankees or Giants fan in Manhattan. Giants, of course. Where did the Giants? Unless play? he was a contrarian, which is possible, but it seems unlikely no. with Steve's personality. Guy. He would have been what the neighborhood or what his dad was, which was a Giants or Yankees fan. Where did the Giants? Where were they geographically? They were in the Polo Grounds, which is. Um, they were up, I think they were either in the Bronx or upper Manhattan, but. Okay. Huh. So, I mean, it makes sense, but yeah, this is not, not what he would have done. It's just, it's a detail. It was just a thing I noticed. And I, it, 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 I, I don't think most people would, would let that bother them, but I went historically like, I don't know. I, I was actually kind of confused about the bit at the end. Like this was, yeah. uh, who's the, the bad guy, the destroyer. That's not what the destroyer looks like. It's like a modern costume version of him. Uh, and and I was like, wait, is that really him, or is that a person who's dressed at him? It, it right. wasn't clear. Also, I just in, in general, if you flip through this books, this book it, it is loaded with words. It is yeah. just full, and it worked pretty well. But when you look at it, it's really jumbled. And some of it actually worked. I think on the page where he's in the art class, like there's way too much stuff there. And it gives you the feeling of claustrophobia and being overwhelmed. And I was like, eh, it actually kind of makes sense. They made a thing work pretty well. And this is a good work with the editor, or with the letter and uh, the double page spread where he's jogging. The page goes left to right, then back around and swings back around. And it, it read really re- well and worked really well. Mm-hmm. But if you look, there's just so much stuff going on through through the whole thing. Yeah, it was it was weird. Like I I like the whole beginning. I like the movie back home. You know the, the memories. I mean that apartment now that would be just so expensive <laughs> and not run down. No, it would not be run down. That's true. He can afford that. He should be he should be able to afford it. Yeah, it's just, I like the the memory of it and the attachment to his past and the the jogging scene, the art scene. The baseball, you know, the whole sequence where he's at a baseball game, he's, he's hanging out with the people from the art class, he's practicing, he's having drinks with an old buddy, talking about Eleanor Roosevelt, he's helping a kid who got bullied, he's got a Spider-Man key dish, that whole sequence I really like. He's ham radioing his army buddies who are still around, I like that whole bit. Mm-hmm. I like him and Bucky being, you know, Batman and Robin of the Lower East Side, but mm-hmm. then it, when it got into the actual action, that's when I lost the thread of mm-hmm. enjoying the book. I haven't really loved... Captain America since Mark Waden's Chris Somney did it. Mm-hmm. And that was how you do it, you know? I really liked Remender. No, but that was way before that. Yeah, no, I really, like, that's one of the last things I think of that I really, and th- that's actually one of those things where they, it wasn't Captain America in the U.S. They took him somewhere else and they went cosmic. Dimension Z. You know, yeah, what, you know, either way, and he mentioned that in here at one point, too. Yeah, it was, yeah. And I thought that was great, you know, because it was like, this is still Captain America, but it's Marvel Comics-y. And since then... People have had a hard time. I think, again, like the movies overshadowed it. They wanted to do the movie, but they couldn't do the same thing as the movie. And then what they did wasn't great. The movie is basically doing classic Captain America. And they just, for some reason, won't do that in the comics. Well, they can also tell that story without having to worry that it's been told a thousand times in the issues, I think, is is one thing. But I don't know. The I mean, the, the other thing that's interesting, too, is that Captain America has been, it, because of the movies, has been relegated to a background status in the Marvel Universe. He was more or less Superman. Yes. Not in a power set, but the sort of apex of all of the heroes for most of our lives. And then when the movies came out, like he was relegated behind Tony Stark. And now he's behind he was behind everybody. He was like 
the role player on the team that they'd send to do specific things. He wasn't the leader in those movies. No, I think he was. He was the leader of Avengers. No, I I mean, but it wasn't... Like, when all that stuff was going on, I think Tony was was the leader of most of it. Like, he was the guy who set the thing up. Well, he was the movie star, but they said that they tried to make Tony the leader of the team in the script writing process, and it didn't work, and they had to make it cap. Yeah, but it was still... It was still split. Like, either way. It happens that way in comics too. Where so then you had Black Panther was the leader of of you know the Avengers, and yeah. he's he's a guy, he's a sergeant. You know he'll take care of stuff. It's just tough. I think comic creators and thus fans have to be okay with telling repetitive stories because that's the nature of the business. And I think that more than ever now, creators are reticent to do that. And so the only thing left to do is just to tear all these things down, and it's just getting tiring. Sure. Sure. Hey, can we we have one more diversion on this one? Yeah. Is that Bucky apparently mm-hmm. plays guitar or at least uses one as decoration in his apartment? And yeah. looking at him, his left hand, his robot hand, his metal hand would be the fret hand. And I want to mm-hmm. know how that works. Mm. Maybe he swaps it over. He strums with the metal hand. Well, that's a left-handed guitar. I mean, he would have to play oh. it upside down. That's a that's a right-handed guitar there. Doesn't that what Paul McCartney does? Yeah. Yeah. But he he. It, that's a that's a right, he could get a right-handed guitar. That's he never needs to worry about calluses with the metal hand. That's what that's what Jimi Hendrix more appropriately did that because McCartney's bass was uh it, it was uh, basically uh, symmetrical, so it didn't have a part that that's not symmetrical. So your knobs would be on top and the cutout would be on the opposite side. It's not good. The art was okay. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. I agree. Eight billion genies number two saw Charles Soule, Ryan Brown. As we enter the second chapter of, out of eight, I believe, of this extended Twilight Zone episode, which I, is a compliment in my book, mm-hmm. as we, we see more of what is happening out in the world with people with genies, and we learn more about what's happening in the, in the bar that has been deemed safe because of the quick thinking of the bartender. This book is delightful. And I know it's going to take a super dark turn at some point, mm-hmm. probably, but the genies are kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I this probably would have been my pick of the week. Mm-hmm. I I thought it really built on the things that I liked about the first issue. Um, it right. also did the thing I thought quite deftly, where it answered a lot of the questions that we had at the end of the first issue. And you know, the combination of art and writing is kind of perfect. Again, if you if you back your focus up and look at the pages, like it really is just a lot of people standing around talking, and then bits of fanciful stuff in the middle, but. Yeah, just don't notice it because the writing is so strong and the cartooning on the genies was kind of fun and like their personalities that we learned about and like their their mm-hmm. logic. Uh, it really helps you think that oh, this is grounded. You don't even have to worry about just believing it because they have a reason going on and you believe that. Uh, you know the the sort of really intelligent things that Soul put in place. You know, like the you know the. Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, you know, makes his wish that the United States would now and forever be the foremost power on the planet and all things for the benefit of the people. And you think, oh, okay, there's that. And then you find out, like, oh, yeah, all the world leaders did that. So the genies went, all right, they just cancel each other out. Yeah. And it's just, and, like, they work with ultimate power and they make up their rules. And, and the rules seem fair, actually. Like, it's not... Yeah, they're really reasonable. And there's a bit where somebody uses a wish to bring their kid's dead mom back. And the genies are like, that's a really good wish. Like they understand wishing, so they they you know they can rate them. Like oh, that was an excellent use of the wish. We're really proud of you. Like I enjoyed wow. the opening in in Argentina with the family where 
Well, first we see that the, the earth has been turned into a giant ice cream cone by somebody. And also, you know, in the beginning, they had, we had the counter showing genie population, human population. It was, it was the same. And now there's 500,000 fewer. I guess 500, 500 million people have made wishes. So that's why there's, well, do the genies go away million. when the wish is made? Yeah, I think so. That's the idea. Okay. So I like the opening with the family in Argentina where once the genies explain what's happening to the parents, they, they run upstairs to the kids' room. One of the kids has already wished for tons of toys. And the father very quickly wishes that none of the kids can make a wish without his approval. And they're all mad. He's like, you are children and everything you want is stupid. <laughs> that was that was very good. <laughs> and then they cut to Dave's Carosaurus. <laughs> the uh, the fired auto worker. I explained this to this part to my family mm-hmm. at dinner. Like we had a big conversation about it because about wishes. I explained what the book was. Yeah, and it was wishes, and they were talking about what would you wish for. And literally, one of my kid goes, "I would want infinite money and then infinite <laughs> Roblox, Robux." And I was like, "Jesus Christ!" And that's why the guy at the beginning shut that I know. shit down. I hundred percent understood it. And I know that Charles Soul has kids, or he has at least a daughter, and uh, same same deal. Like I was just like, "Oh." Like immediately he went oh, and he ran like that's perfect. That's exactly what needs to happen. Shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> I, j- I thought I just thought it was great. It's just a great comic book. And you're right, it, it is the Twilight Zone, and that's sort of the power of it. But and and the fact is, again, it's it's capped at eight. There's gonna be eight issues of this. Perfect. Tell the story. Yeah. Get in, get out. You know, eight is a not a standard trade number, so it seems like the number of issues is uh, about how much story they have, rather than you know what you can fit it in. So I, I have I have uh, a positive. Uh, I expect good things. Yeah, I like the genie at the bar with his genie drink with the guy. Was, <laughs> like I noticed it. Like they're all just it's it, there's a lot of little nice touches in here. Yeah, Ryan Brown really needs you know needs to get a lot of credit. He's uh oh yeah he does have a little genie drink. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> He's commiserating with his guy. And I love, uh, I love the lady. He's like, I can't believe I wasted my one wish. And the guy just goes, yeah, that was stupid. <laughs> it's just like all a lot of the thoughts that you have were, ju- were justified and validated as you get to the second issue. And I think, hey, the genies all have different outfits. Yeah, they're all different looking. It, it's, what's interesting is you've gotten, from a, from a bigger story perspective, is you know, in the very beginning, you've got a lot of people who did a lot of impulsive wishing. Mm-hmm. And the real, the real worry and the real scary bit. And, and look, there's some really destructive shit going on. Like the entire town of Detroit's on fire and there's car sources. And, but the real question and the scary thing is, who are the people that are being calculated about their wishes? What are yeah. they going to do? Yeah. And, you know, there's a real, there's a, there's a social parallel. Like, there's a lot of stupid people. And they're going to be really selfish. And that's going to be the first thing that comes. And then the, the guy, so the question last time with the bar guy was like, well, what did he know? And he didn't know anything. He's just a survivalist, and he's thought about all this a lot. And so that was his first instinct, uh, and it was a good instinct, and he acted quickly, and he's sort of, he's mapped out for us what's going to happen. And there's, there's quite a cliffhanger in which there's a knock on the door, I open it up, and it's Papa Hemingway <laughs> and Jim Morrison. Is that Dorothy Parker? I think so. That would make sense. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what's that going to mean? <laughs> I don't know. Somebody has wished some dead people back alive. So I, 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 this book is really, really good. That's a group of people who are going. Well, they're, I mean, they all died because they drank way too much, right? Yeah. Isn't that uh, oh, at yeah. least two of them? How did I don't know how Hemingway, how Hemingway died, but well, Hemingway killed himself 
in his 60s. He was depressed right. his whole life. That's right. So, and he drank. He was a raging alcoholic. Yeah, he was, so but was that, he, didn't die from, like, he didn't die and, from the drink. He died sure. from the shotgun. And, sh- and so was uh, Dorothy Parker. So that makes sense. But they showed up at the bar. They're like, oh, we have more time. Let's, let's get to it. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a lot in this, too. Like, I think you get your money's worth. Um, yeah, I was, I was a sure. big fan of this. This made me really happy when I read it. I was like, oh, that's just like nothing else I read. It, it had so many things going for it. It was a great series. So this week we had a book called The Best Archie Comic Ever! Exclamation point number one from Archie Comics, which featured three stories. One by Fred Van Lente and Tim Seeley. One by Aubrey Sitterson and Judd Doherty. And one by Ruben Najera and Gloria Spasito. It was not the best Archie comic ever. Thanks for getting that out of the way. The title lied, but it was really fun. At least two of the three stories. I didn't really enjoy the third story too much, but... You know, you let Fred Van Lente, Tim Seeley, and Aubrey Sitterson loose in the Archie universe. They had a fun time. It was fun. I really liked Aubrey Sitterson a lot. Probably my favorite one of the three. What was the pitch? Jughead the Barbarian? Okay. Jughead the Barbarian. Burgarian. He's Conan the Barbarian, basically. Nice. He climbs this tower, and the two fair maidens, Betty and Veronica, are trapped in a cage by Reginald the Iniquitous. You know, and saves the day, but at the end of the day, doesn't care about the girl so much as the giant human-sized burger that Reggie was guarding as well. It was just fun. It was fun. The third story, the art was kind of stiff, and it was all based on character models and the TV shows, supposed to the comics, and I wasn't into that so much. That was Betty and Veronica's spies, and the first story was a superhero story for Archie, the pure hard character. That was fun, too. So it was just fun. It was just silly and fun, and I enjoyed it. Did you read Seven Sons, number one? I did. I did. I went back and forth on it. I looked at it, like, at first, I just, like, take a look through it, and I go, I don't know about this. Because the thing is this, I really used to love Jay Lee, but over time... Uh, it's not my taste so much anymore. But I went ahead and read it. I had no idea what it was going to be. And I think I liked it a lot more than I expected to. Mm-hmm. So basically it's about, it's basically like the reversed rebirth of Christ, but there's seven, I lost the thread a little bit, but there's seven people yeah. born as part of a prophecy and they were, or they each had, they were identical or they had brothers who were identical or whatever. And they were born of virgins whatever we are a little bit in the future of that happening and one of them is going to be chosen as the son of god the new jesus and mm-hmm. it's in this world that is sort of like our world sort of like the running man sort of like hunger games everything is televised this is all takes place on pay-per-view but the world is very fractured in a rough state and i thought that the world building was really strong and the reason that i don't understand it so much yet is because i think there was a lot to it, but I, I don't think that they did it poorly. I think that, you know, you, you're just going to get deeper in and start to understand it as you go. There's a cliffhanger that sort of happens in the way that I kind of understood and kind of didn't. Yeah. But I actually really liked it, and I, I did not expect to. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I think I, my my feeling was very similar to yours. I I felt like I was hanging on by my fingertips, but I did enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know enough about theology to really understand what was going on entirely, but... Seems like there was seven people born in all seven continents. So one of these guys was born in Antarctica, apparently, mm-hmm. and they were all—they're all sort of the new sons of Jesus, but or they are Jesus. I, I don't know. It's all very confusing. Sons but, of God. Well, sons of God. One of them will be the new, uh, Messiah. you know, Jesus, and they all start getting killed and, until there's one left. Basically. Yeah, like all the mothers were killed immediately because there was virgin births or whichever. Yeah, then you have sort of religious war. Like there was a lot of interesting things happening here. There was a lot of 
crazy bizarre page layout panel layouts here from Jay Lee. I, I gotta say, yeah, I don't love the Jay Lee covers very much because they're just sort of all look the same as every other cover he did. But I thought that the I thought that the interior storytelling was a new look for him, or at least at least more uh, dynamic than I expected. He and, is someone who no no one draws like him, and I, I no, always appreciate no that. Mm-hmm. Does do we know is June Chung like? Does she do other people's work? I don't know. Is she, or is she just like waiting around going, Jay, I, I got to eat. Like, draw something. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out like, if I've, I've ever seen her name anywhere attached to anybody else. And if not, then what does that mean? Basically, on paper, I think that this doesn't work. It's super serious, very complicated. It's very liturgical. Mm-hmm. But it worked. I thought I thought it worked, and I'm I'm looking forward to the next issue. Batman Urban Legends 16. This is the anthology book, and we're up to 16. And previously, I thought the book was over because all the stories in it ended in the single issue, and so we have that here again, where every story has had its final chapter, except for the one one shot story. So I don't know if this is the final issue of Batman Urban Legends. I've said it before; I was wrong. We don't read the solicitations, we don't read the news, so we don't know. We take the books as they come every week. So maybe this is the last issue. Maybe it's not the last issue. But I'm, you know, I'm always impressed it keeps going because anthologies are not incredibly popular in these modern days of comic readers. I really enjoyed this particular group of stories for the most part. There's a really great Ace the Bat Hound, Batman, Mark Russell, Carl Moster story that wrapped up in this one that I really thought was terrific. It had shades of We Three, um, but also you know good Mark Russell stuff in it. And then um, there was a nice one-shot from Batman and Alfred a little, from the, taking place in the past. The Batman and Alfred team up. Alfred co- uncovers the idea that there's murders happening at an old folks' home because some of his friends in there are dying. And so Batman's going to send Tim in to f- fix it. And Alfred says, no, 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 I want to do it. So he goes in undercover. And that was a fun little short story. I skipped the Birds of Prey one. But my favorite was Batman and his Zatanna's story, which wrapped up its sixth part in this issue as well. I, f- I think after all these years that right now... Zatanna might be my favorite Batman love interest. It's something that Paul Dini introduced many years ago, and I don't feel like uh, they're that's so. New for you, I think you've always liked her as that. I've always liked it, but you know, it used to be Talia was my favorite historically yeah. growing up because as a kid in the Bronze Age, she was sort of the main love interest that was always there. So, by osmosis, she she was my favorite. Right. But she brought us Damien. That's not her fault. Well, <laughs> literally, it's her fault. Well, she's not. I, I I just got into a thing where I was like, you can't blame the fictional character for what men do. <laughs> it's her kid. It's her fault. I, I pointed out that what I was going to say was stupid. I, okay. I said it. You don't have to point it out. She raised him into that asshole. Anyway, uh, I really liked this bizarre pairing of Batman and Zatanna. And this book takes us through this long relationship they've had together from young kids because of the stories that they knew each other as like teenagers. And so they've broken up. And so they've got this weird connection where he's sort of this high school sweetheart type of situation and they have this code word that they can say to each other and whenever they say it they have the one has to drop what they're doing and go help and the whole point of the story is that that bit went wrong and so they're in in a bad place and they have to get back to a good place and through the this magical adventure the only downside of this story which featured great art from nicola sismesia and hayden sherman is that constantine gets involved and he is I don't know if you realize this, Josh, but Constantine is bisexual. Mm-hmm. And the reason I know that is because, A, he is, but B, every line of dialogue in here, he's reminding us he's bisexual. And that was the only downside of the story. It's like, okay, I get it. Every line of dialogue he's hitting on Batman and or Satana. I get it. 
that's the thing. I will easily believe that John Constantine will have sex with anyone and anything. 100%. Yeah. It's not a problem. I, I totally buy it. You know what he wouldn't do, though, is constantly talk about it. I've been reading Hellblazer for a thousand years. He doesn't hit on people. He doesn't have to. He looks at them. He's constantly commenting on Batman's physique or calling him handsome. Every, like, it's just every line of dialogue. Like, that's not, I've read hundreds of issues of Hellblazer, and that's, it's performative. It's per- it was performative, yes. And it ended in a nice spot, which was sort of nebulous, where they're, they're back in a good place. And then he invites her over to family dinner, so there's the final shots, like Batman and all of his Robins and Zatanna eating around the table. And I was like, what's going on here? Uh, it's all out of continuity and all out of time, but still. I liked it. This Urban Legends book yeah. is probably this and Batman Killing Time are my two favorite Batman books right now. 16 issues. It's not nothing. Not nothing for an anthology book. Yeah. The Marvel's 11. Still going. We got one more issue left. Kurt Busiek and Ildre Sinar. Oh, and, uh, Ildre Sinar. This book is so weird, and it should be bad. <laughs> yeah, no, we've we've got that. We've got that Kurt Busiek. Like, I mean, I'm not. I'm not gonna hate it. <laughs> like anybody else does this, and you'd be like, all right, I'm out. You know, here you're like, well, it's got enough Busiek for you know, for me. I'm this whole issue it. is about how the woman is the personification of the nation of Sing Kong, and it's very meta. Did you feel like you missed an issue? It was just strange how like they very meta placed this fictional nation into the real world where she is. She comes back to Earth and it lands like in between Vietnam and Laos and all, and like becomes other nation, and it gets now it's in the Earth, and like it was just like wow, you guys are going a long way to make me care about this fictional Southeast Asian nation. And I don't know why. Yeah. Very strange. It's, at least it's almost over. But it's really fun. Yes. I'm still barely like, if again, if it wasn't Kurt Busiek, I'd be like, all right, I'm out. But I'm finishing it. I'll do the 12. <laughs> 100%. Like, if, you know. Finally, did you read A Calculated Man from Aftershock? I didn't get to it. But at this point, you are going to either sell me on it or not. And then I will be caught up for the second issue if it's necessary. This is the first issue I would assume is a miniseries. I just assume everything is a miniseries. Written by Paul Tobin, which is a name I have not seen in many years. Art by Alberto Albuquerque, who is not Rafael Albuquerque, who was I thought it was when I first picked it up. I was like, whoa, wait a minute, what happened? A Calculated Man is a mob story in which the mob's accountant. He's extremely smart. He's a genius. You know, he's one of those people that sees numbers as colors and has a photographic memory. So he's the perfect mob accountant. And he also can't tell a lie he's got a lot of quirks and he's got real big hair and he realizes that oh my life is horrible as the mob accountant i'm making a lot of money but uh, i can't have a relationship because i can't tell people what i do i can't lie about it so people say what do you do i can't say i'm an accountant for a firm i'm a, I'm, I'm a mob accountant and so he turns states uh, evidence and this whole thing is uh the new u.s marshal learning about this guy this is all happening in the past he's already in witness protection we were learning about how he got here he has decided in a present day that the only way to live a safe life is to kill everyone in the mob using his genius. So he has begun that process in this issue where he <laughs> he's kidnapped one of the soldiers for the, the family he worked for. And this was good, not great. I didn't love the art. The character design for the main guy is bizarre. It's a little heightened. I didn't dislike this at all. I actually quite liked it, and I'm looking forward to reading the next issue. It's a good pitch. A lot of it is the art. Somebody asked us a long time ago in an email, why don't we read more of these smaller publishers? And the thing is, a lot of the art isn't professional Mm -hmm. because they're just not there yet. And this art's a little better than most, but still, like, the characters are kind of squinched. And in a lot of these books, the art's always, like, very medium shot, not dynamic, stiff. 
And that's kind of what we have here. Mm-hmm. But the story was strong enough that I probably will read more. I mean, I, I like a crime story, and this is sort of a heightened crime. I mean, the, the two crime families are ridiculous. One is the Van Dykes. They literally all have Van Dyke facial hair. <laughs> and the other one is the Keys, and they all have key tattoos. It's not like it's, you know, realistic. Right. But it was fun enough. Yeah. Paul Tobin, he's a guy whose stories I liked when they came up. He's done a lot of smaller stories short stories and things like this off of the side but not a lot of super mainstream stuff but he's like one of those portland people he's in the jeff parker milieu i think he did plants versus zombies forever and a bunch of video game stuff that's right yeah he's good smart and funny there's definitely a lot of smart in here i mean it's you know it's not an entirely new story the super genius outsmarts everybody it's just here he's homicidal Mm -hmm. so those are the books we wanted to talk about but if you go to patreon.com slash ifanboy you could vote to add a book to the rundown for your patron. And this week, almost all the patrons seem to vote for do a Powerbomb number one. It won by like a wide, wide, wide margin. And so we already talked about do a Powerbomb number one, but we're, this time we're going to do our ratings and our sticking with it question that we would normally do with the patron pick. Josh, ratings on do a Powerbomb number one. Four. I'm going five and I'm sticking with it. And I said, you're sticking with it. Yep. Yeah. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. That's how you can vote to add a book to the rundown. This week, it happened to be the pick of the week. Let's do... The patron powers, that's where any patron who gives it the $5 or higher level gets superpower live on the show. That's their reward. It's a great reward. It's an honor, really. I mean, there's been like 700 of them, something crazy like that, on the show since the last five years we've been doing this. It's a lot. Let's give a power to comic addiction, the nom de plume of someone who's a patron. Comic addiction. And I thought of two powers for comic addiction in the last 12 hours, and both of them have left my head. That's nice. Shit, I thought of one last night and one this morning. Well, I'm trying to think of mine, so don't think I'm going to help you. The longer you stall, the better for me. <laughs> I know. It's just, I was, I was out last night, and I thought, oh, this is a good power. And then I thought about it and didn't write it down because I was out. And then this morning, I was like, oh, this is a different, another power I, I kind of like, and that's gone too. So comic addiction. Um, what was I thinking about last night that would have given me the power? Oh, I know what it is. Yeah, and Josh will laugh when I, tell, when I say it. Comic addiction, and this may be a power we've done before, but it doesn't matter. Comic addiction can initiate real-world subtitles. <laughs> if you have like a 10-second back thing, then you're all set. Comic addiction can uh, initiate, uh, and only he, sees, he or she, or they, sees them, sees subtitles under, underneath people as they're speaking. So, mm-hmm. you know, if he's in a situation where it's really loud and can't really hear people, everybody's wearing masks and trying to talk, and it's like, what? Comic addiction can just read underneath what they're saying, or, you know. If there's a singer who doesn't enunciate very well, also the same thing. So, like, comic addiction can, you know, mentally hit the button at the CC button, close captioning. Boom. Under everybody talking. Who he's talking to. Not everybody in the whole world or room. But people he's actually interacting with, he can... Or, or performing or whatever. It's an interaction. That's an interaction. But anybody he's interacting with can, will be subtitled. Will be or could be? Will be. Okay, so that's just a thing. So then it yeah. becomes this. There's a curse element to it. Yeah, well, my eyes are up here, buddy. Off. Like, what if the words appear across like the chest of a lady? That's tough. Just, that's yeah, tough. my eyes are up yeah. here, and he's like, "No, no, I'm not." I'm actually <laughs> reading what you're saying, and uh, so I can understand you better. You know, slap. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's a curse. <laughs> it's a curse. Not situation. Yeah, yeah. He's not even. He can't go to the beach. I mean, <laughs> no. I guess that depends on where they show up. I mean, if they're at the feet, that's a problem. It would be best right. if they went right across people's eyes. That's true. That's true. Ben Stanley can do 
any voice. And I don't okay. mean impersonations. I mean that can do any voice or accent, can only speak English. They all have to be in English, unless uh-huh. he learns a different language, I guess. But he would have to be as fluent in that. But so, you know, like there's people who do impressions, but mm-hmm. he, puts them out, he blows them out of the water. He's a perfect mimic. He's a perfect vocal mimic, yes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he would call the principal Rooney and say <laughs> that Ferris is sick that day. And there would, ne- there would be no, I mean, you know, Cameron did a fine impersonation, but this would be no perfect. He is the most wanted guy for ADR, for audiobooks, sure. for, uh, you know, he could have a, a massive TikTok following. Because people are like, oh Mr. my Rooney? God. Yeah. That's, but, yeah, but he mostly just does... Alan Ruck doing <laughs> Rooney's, <laughs> calling Rooney, can do that perfectly. Our friend and friend of the show, Mike Romo, uh, did an um, audio pickup for Steve Carell for a film, and he gets a little check every so often for it. Mm-hmm. So there you go. I don't really? know why they just didn't get Steve Carell to do it, but wow. there you go. He's a lot more expensive than Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the checks. He's a lot more expensive than Mike. 32 cents. 32 cents. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. That's where you can go. If you're a patron, any patron can go to add a book to the rundown. But if you get it at the $5 high level, you get Superpower Live on the show. So thanks for being patrons. I know we're late, but we have one question, which we can totally do quickly. Kevin M. from Seattle, Washington. Who did you get to do the Eric LaSalle karate punch fist pump, the best part of the opening credits? He's referring to our C2E2 opening. Which we, did we talk about that last week? I think so. Last week's show? I, could, I feel like we always talk about it. The C2E2 video show we did where we created the ER opening. And uh, we got everybody in our group to play a character. And he wants to know who did the Eric LaSalle karate punch part. And he says, I have spent scant seconds thinking about this question, but I will, it will occupy 80% of my waking thoughts until I have an answer. What I want to know, Kevin, did you go watch it? Did you go check it out and watch it and say, who's that guy? Or are you just asking us to tell you? I think... Did you do any work with this? He's only been thinking about it scant seconds, so... It's a good question. I did go back and watch it. I, I sent you a screen cap of it. Yeah. It's hard to tell unless you know who it is. So yes. I can see why, even if he did look at it, he would not and, know. And, and also, that person is not really an official member of our extended family. It's a deep it's a personal, cut. Yeah. It's a deep cut. He's a cut. personal friend. Although, no. He appeared on earlier episodes. He was an intern. Yes. I and he appears forgotten. every month at the Hangout, in the, in the Tiki Hangout, if you're a patron. Yeah. He's, in that, he's almost almost every every month in that one. He's family. He's, he's, he's iFanboy family. And he was also on The Batman Show with me and Mike Romo, reviewing the Batman movie. Hmm. And he also guest starred on Goodfellas Minute. He is our buddy Hank... Nasserbacht. Yeah. And he was probably like 19 when he did that. I think I met Hank first. Yes. Hank, uh, I went to Chicago in 08, maybe earlier, Mm -hmm. 05. I think it was before the video show. And I went there for work. Actually, I contrived a work trip to go to Chicago so I could go to the Around Comics taping one night and meet all the guys and hang out with them. And on that night, I met Scotty Young. I met Mike Norton. I met Hank, and Hank was like a kid. He was, I want to say, 16 tops, mm-hmm. you know, and he would just hang around the shop with them and, and knew all those guys, and, you know, he was like uh, he was like Spider from Goodfellas. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mike Norton gave me a ride back to my hotel and Hank a ride home because I think he lived by him. Yeah, so I've, like, literally known him since a kid, and he's like a full-blown adult now. Yeah, she's 30 now. Fuck me. Yeah, Norton was at his wedding. They're good buddies. But yeah, that's that's Hank, our buddy Hank, who shows up most months during the uh, patron hangout, the pre-show. We do a pre-show. So there you go. Contact at ifanboy.com. 
that's where you can write in. Also, emails for our media explode show, media explode in the subject line. I think we're going to do a summer mailbag show. So we've been getting emails, and we've been look, always can use more. So thank you very much. We lost Tim Sale this past week. I think it was pretty surprising, especially since we've just been talking about nowhere. Him. We just did the book explode on Superman for all seasons, and on that show, we were like, we haven't seen Tim Sale work in a while. I don't know if he'd been sick for a long time, or we, they've been very private about everything, which is obviously their right to do so. So we don't know if it was a long illness or a sudden, but he passed away this past week after being hospitalized for a while. He was 66 years old, which is older than I thought he was, but still extraordinarily young. It's a sad situation. It's sad for comics, for his family, for his friends. Someone very influential, very well-liked in the community. Very talented. <sighs> Extremely talented. Extremely talented. It, I'm not going to say I'm glad, but I think uh, the fact that we did that Superman for All Seasons show was just kind of a coincidence that we did it at that time. Yep. You know, and I either it was right before we recorded or right after, like we got the news he was sick. I don't really remember, but after. So you know, if you're listening, you know all those nice things we said about him. Those were 100 percent sincere. We're not saying something about something because we got he got sick or whatever. It's not. He's that good, and and that yeah. book is. I mean, this, this is just a guy who did something the way that literally no one else did at a time when that was really unusual in mainstream comics. Really unusual. Like, that wasn't the way to go. And uh, he was just so good that it didn't matter. Yeah, so it's been a hard year for losing legitimately great comic book artists. Mm-hmm. Between Tim Sale, George Perez, Neil Adams, we've got three immensely talented, completely different artists. I think what's difficult is that you know, over the last 10 years ago, we were losing all the folks from the Golden and Silver Age. Yes. You know? And so the people from the Bronze Age aren't that old. And certainly the people from the Modern Age. And I think I tend to think of Tim Sale as Modern Age. He's probably the same age. I mean, I don't know. He's probably working through the 80s, too, because of, of his age. Yeah, but he really blew up in the Modern Age. Though. We should have to wait 20 years to lose these people. Right. At least. And so it's it sucks. Yep, so I'm not using this to promote our show, but we really did spend a lot of time talking about his art and what made him great and everything. So if you haven't listened, Superman for All Seasons Book Explode is behind a couple shows back on the feed. It's a great book. I enjoyed the conversation. I thought it was a good conversation about his work. If you've never read it, I recommend reading it and then listening to the show or just listening to the show, but it's a good discussion about what made him so special as an artist. Again, we recorded way before. We knew he was sick. You can check that out. Other shows you can check out. Recently, we had our DC showcase, Constantine, the House of Mystery, special edition show. It's right behind this one on the feed. It's the Animation Brain Trust talking about the latest collection of shorts that they put in front of the full-length films. So you've got this one and a Commandy short and a The Loser short and a terrific Blue Beetle short. So you can check all of that out uh, on the show behind this one. This coming week, we have our Media Explode show. We're going to be talking about Top Gun, both Top Gun and Top Gun Maverick. So you can look forward to that one this week. And then perhaps the week after, Josh has a Talksplode that he has recorded, and perhaps we'll put it out exists. the week after. Yeah, it'll be coming up. I spoke with Mahmoud Azrar, artist on, most recently, Conan and uh, King Conan. Is it Conan mm-hmm. the King or King Conan? King Conan. You know, the, the book that he did along with Jason Aaron. You know, I, I, I always like talking to folks, and it's I think it's another great show. It's the farthest away somebody has been while I spoke to them, as he <laughs> lives in Vienna, Austria. Uh, and he grew up in Ankara, mm. Turkey. Uh, different perspective, I think, than a lot of the folks that we, we normally talk to. But uh, I've sort of kind of known him off and on for years. It was great. It was great to talk to him and hear about his approach to comics. So that'll be along soon, and I'm really glad to uh, be able to share it. Now I want a sausage. <laughs> when is that not true? That's true. <laughs> <laughs> you can find all of our sausages over at ifanboy.com. <laughs> 
Sorry. Uh, you can find all of our shows over at ifanboy.com as well as an archive of years of great comic book writing about sausages from our talented staff. <laughs> if you can tell me, if you could, like, you'll get a no prize if you can come back and tell me uh, it, what unique role sausage played in iFanboy history. Uh, there's, wow, there's, that is, yeah. That's a, do you know that, what I'm talking about? Yeah. I mean, there's there's two ways, but yeah, either one. Yes, will there's work. two things that I know that sausage, and not a. I don't mean like a one-off, like we mentioned it real, because I'm sure we yeah. mentioned sausage. But there's there's two things I can think of that where sausage was a significant part. That's of, right. of the of the program. You get an iPhone by no price if you can tell yep. us. Which is which is to be clear, nothing. It's no price. Just, <laughs> you get nothing. No price. The no prize is no price. God, that's brilliant. That that no prize concept. Is brilliant. That might be yeah. the most amazing thing that Stanley ever thought of. <laughs> Probably <laughs> Jack Kirby's like, I thought of it. <laughs> to find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out, follow at iFanboy on Twitter and at iFanboy Comics on Instagram. You can follow Connor and I individually on Instagram at CS Kilpatrick or JA Flanagan. Our YouTube page is youtube.com slash iFanboy. Smash that like and subscribe button. Smash it. Smash it. It's a If you button. press it, it's no good to us. It's true. You gotta smash it. Like, I want you to break your keyboard. You're beating up your own mouse or trackpad, yes. whichever it is. Just, I want yeah. I want to, yeah, S- smash it. The full-length shows are all uploaded. We're down to the minis. In about a month or so, that'll be all. And everything We have exactly we one month from this recording, yeah. Yep. So this past week, you will find it came from the storage unit, Connor's literal storage unit. Uh, where he that was the last Avengers. mini version of that. It came oh. back when we did the anthology shows, but that was the last mini version. The Avengers 283, I can, I can, I don't know what, Avengers 283 was, but I can picture exactly what style it looks like. I know what the logo looks like. I'm seeing Black Knight on that cover. Oh, yes. Uh, is it really? Uh, he, he's probably on the cover. I'm like even in the right little now. inset thing. And, and uh, if you really, if you want to do a deep dive on the new comics that came out in 2008, we were the place. And it's there. <laughs> so your new comics preview for September 24th, 2008 is also available. Um, yeah. There's probably a researcher somewhere that's important too. He was on the cover because it was the R- Roger Stern, Sal Bashima era. But uh, it was uh, Namor. It was, the team was Captain America, She Hulk, Black Knight, Thor, uh, Captain Marvel, Monica version, and Namor. It's ridiculous that like I frequently walk into the kitchen, forget why I did it. But I looked at the thing and said, No, Avengers 283. And I was like, I'm having a sense of memory. I think Dane Whitman's involved. <laughs> And you're like, yeah, that's true. Like, what a horrible use of my remaining brain space. Why am I, why just... am I in this room? Why did I pick up my keys? Why did oh I? Oh my god! Yesterday <laughs> I was driving somewhere with Lindsay, and we were talking about you know inflation or whatever. And I had a thought, and I went to say it, and I felt it going away. <laughs> I went, and I had, I grasped it by the edges, you know, like I was like, I yeah. know what the, and then it was gone. And I spent ten minutes going. I think I had something really relevant to say. And it, I just couldn't, and I was so mad. And I just go, I looked at her, I was like, I hate this part. And she's like, it's the worst. The I mean, that's exactly what happened with the Patreon Power earlier. I literally had it in my head this morning as I got out of bed. And it just left. I, 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 when, I, when I was struggling to find it, I had a mental image of my brain just being this mm-hmm. empty cave with like bats flipping around <laughs> in it. Like, there's like water dripping from a stalactite. Like there was nothing going on there. <laughs> The puff of dust. <laughs> you, you feel, there's like an echo. I'm like, <laughs> Patron power, 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 power. 
No, nothing. If you like the show, consider leaving a review or a star rating. Josh and I have a lot of fun doing these shows. Yeah. Even even when the books are not great. This week, this week they were great. But yeah. even when they're not great, like we got a comment on our last show on our YouTube, on our YouTube, not surprisingly, about how we've reached the end of our rope. Like we have a great time doing these shows. Great time. I'm not doing this. This is for fun you. for us. This is fun for us. Yeah. So deal with it. But leave a star rating or review if you feel like reading, leaving one. Just don't say us how we don't like doing the show anymore because we do. We do. The, 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 there's, there's a thing. You'll, you'll hear it on this show before, on, earlier in this show, where I will start talking about something. And this will be shocking to anybody who listens. Like, when I start talking, I'm not usually sure what or if I'm going to say. <laughs> and I, use really, I tend to use bigger words because I, I think I used liturgical earlier. Mm-hmm. And you did. as I said, that string of words that came out, if you go back to it, I was on a high wire. I was like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. <laughs> I was like, liturgical. <laughs> and then afterwards I go, I think that was right. I <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the opposite. That's, I mean, but it's the same effect as the not knowing what I'm going to say. It was, it's starting to say something and being like, well, this should work out. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Let's just end the show. No one needs to hear okay. about your letter carrier or your mom. They know. They know. They know. They do. They know. They know the things. So uh, thanks for listening. This was another fun episode. We'll talk to you next week. Until then, I'm Connor. I'm Josh. Sweet.